You are listening to the Aging Starts Now podcast, where it's all about responding with confidence to the legal, financial, and personal challenges created by disability, unexpected illness, or simply aging in general. Join us weekly as elder law attorneys Tim Takis, Barbara McGinnis, Chris Johnson, and other members of the Takis McGinnis Elder Care Law Team talk about the tools, techniques, strategies, and services that will make the elder care journey easier for everyone involved. Get ready, because aging starts now. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Aging Starts Now. I'm Deborah King, one of the Elder Care Coordinators at Takis McGinnis Elder Care Law. Today, we are continuing our Medicare discussion and sorting through more questions we are often asked by those who are new to the Medicare program. With me again for this topic is Josh Hunter, a Medicare specialist here at the firm. Welcome, Josh. Hey, thanks for having me back, Deb. Sure. Thanks for being here. So last time we talked about all the Medicare initials and deductibles and what you have to pay, Um, but we didn't talk a lot about hospitals and A's and B's and things. So it's going to start out, most people are not do not go to the hospital. I have friends that haven't been in the hospital except for maybe when they had their children. And I also know that Medicare seems to pay differently than traditional employer insurance or commercial insurance. So tell me a little bit more about what Medicare pays when you go to the hospital. Sure. So I think getting into that topic, it's good to understand why Medicare, or at least original Medicare, acts a bit different than, like you said, maybe the insurance you were used to when you were an employee or your background. Um, Most of the insurances you had right prior to needing Medicare would have been some form of HMO or PPO, uh, much like Medicare Advantage. And the reason that's important is they had networks, right? People you could see, people you can't see, co-pays at certain rates, all of those things. That's not how original Medicare works. Original Medicare is generally a flat fee each month in the form of premiums, and then you can see anybody who accepts Medicare contracts. So it's more of a flat fee deal than it is when you use it. So it can seem expensive when you're healthy, uh, but uh, really, really cost-effective when you're sick and need a lot of care. So if they take Medicare, generally you can go see that person so long as you meet medical necessity requirements. That's usually up to the provider to prove. Mm-hmm. And then beyond that point, just making sure you did things in the right order, I guess is what I'm trying to say. So see the individual when you need it and get things approved ahead of time. And usually you're not going to run into problems. Um, we usually see issues with original Medicare on our end. If somebody just randomly gets uh, a, a shoulder surgery or has some random back PT when there's nothing that lines up with it. Uh, What I mean is there's no history leading up to that. So Medicare might question it. But before that, usually Medicare is going to be pretty forgiving when you have original Medicare and you see somebody who, you know, uses the Medicare contract. And when it comes down to your hospital, they'll cover most things while you're there. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's really not that complicated. They're they're nice to you. There's not a a network issue. So when you're working with them, uh, it's really up to the provider to make sure they build things that are Medicare approved in the way in which Medicare wants them build. And most of the time when there's a problem in that regard, it's the provider who faces problems more than the beneficiary. 
things can be denied. That'll show up on your EOB like we discussed in the previous episode. But most of the time you'll notice that's coded in such a way that the provider's the one who loses out. Okay. Yeah. That's Once, why that's why facilities have such big billing departments. Yes. Yes, because it's complicated <laughs> and every insurance wants it a little different, I'm sure. Um, one special thing about hospital that comes to mind when you're asking what does the hospital pay for or what what's paid for when you go to the hospital is I think beneficiaries need to research and understand Moon a little bit. And the uh, Moon. Uh, this what's the Moon? Yeah. <laughs> the Super Moon. Yeah, the Super Moon. Um, it's, it's something that bites a lot of our beneficiaries. The way that works, when an individual goes to a hospital for something, sometimes they need physical treatment after they get out of the hospital. Some sort of therapy, maybe even inpatient therapy, right? Like skilled nursing care. Now, Medicare doesn't just jump on and pay for that, right? While you have background that says, hey, we were in the hospital and then we went to uh, straight to skilled nursing, you might have two different people, one of which was paid for and the other wasn't. And of course, those families ask, why? You know, what's the difference? I went from the hospital to skilled nursing. I don't understand. They've paid for this before. Well, Medicare has some rules about observation status versus inpatient status. And this is like oddly confusing it sounds just as as straightforward as it can be when you hear it you know if i say overnight while well, i'm inpatient no, no, not exactly not exactly and we need three inpatient nights three midnights right is our normal rule for medicare to pick up skilled nursing after you leave the hospital so let's give an example that might give you a good idea let's say there was a car accident somebody goes in they have three inpatient nights, four inpatient nights, 10, who knows? And then they go to skilled nursing after to help them rehabilitate, learn how to walk again, whatever that may be. Um, let's say it was a leg break. That person's skilled nursing is going to be taken care of because they were inpatient the entire time. But that doesn't happen with everybody who goes to the hospital. You might be under observation status for quite some time. I've seen people in observation status for days, right? And that seems really counterintuitive to what you might initially think. But that makes all the difference in the world for their next step when they go into a skilled nursing facility. So if that same person had that car accident, was in care for three days, but two of those days were under observation status and weren't fully inpatient, their skilled care is not going to be paid for by Medicare because they didn't meet that requirement. Um, and that's such a pain. And families get so mad because they usually don't hear about it until it's too late. Until we start requiring this moon notice. We always, I call it the moon notice. That, that's what the end part stands for. But the idea is that they're required to let you know when you've been on observation status. But beyond all that point, the, the key takeaway here for our listeners today is ask if you're, if you're the conscious family member and you're involved in this in any way, run by you know the team and say, hey, are we under observation status or are we inpatient? Because I think we're going to need some skilled care after this. Or she's going to need some care in the home or whatever that may be. And then you can always advocate for a change if that's required. And it's a lot easier to do that on the front end than it is after everything's done. So that's an important piece to know about hospital coverage in particular and how that Does works. Does the doctor do that? Well, the doctor might be part of the one who makes that decision, yeah. Um, okay. But generally, the person you're going to be talking to is the nursing staff, 
right? Because the doctor's hard to find in, in some of those moments. They're running around everywhere in the ER, in my experience. But you can really push with advocates who are there, with social workers who are there. Basically, if you can talk to somebody and continue to, to, to badger the issue, somebody's going to answer you or at least schedule something. But when I've seen families see success, they usually work with social workers because it seems, in my, in my limited experience anyways, um, doctors are a little quicker to respond than to the social workers raising red flags than the family because every family in the ER has a red flag, right? That's why they're there. They're all nervous about everything. Uh-huh, uh-huh. A social worker's red flag might carry a little bit more weight because they know what's truly important to the doctor in that moment uh, and something's a little different than just a family member. I'm not saying family members cry wolf, but sometimes I, I feel like that's how doctors might react to that. Okay. Well, that's a good point. Something to be sure to ask whenever you're in the hospital building. Am I observation or inpatient? Outpatient or inpatient? What is my status? Because that can affect what happens in the next step. That's a big deal. Yes, ma'am. Okay. But let's talk about before you get to the hospital. Okay. Do I go to urgent care or do I go to the emergency room? What's Medicare going to pay for? Well, it really depends on what your situation is, but if the urgent care takes Medicare assignment, that'll be okay. Uh, if you truly need emergent re- emergency room care, that'll likely be all right and covered as well. But the question is, what is that truly need part, and how did you get there? Makes a lot of difference. Um, for example, yeah. one, one issue yeah, that we... Give me an example there. <laughs> yeah, let's say you need to go to the emergency room because you have some major stomach problems, right? There's something going on, you're extremely uncomfortable, there's pain, whatever that may be, Uh as opposed to somebody who has a broke leg. Those are two different situations that both might require the emergency room. The difference is one person can get up and walk around and drive their vehicle, and the other person can't. So when that comes up is when they both take an ambulance ride to the ER, Uh Which one's going to be covered, do you think? So what Medicare looks into is, you know, do you need help with ambulation? And that's what they refer to, being able to get around on your own. So if you're ambulatory, like my, my stomach problem individual, you know, could get up, could walk around, could do what they need to do, um, they may not cover that ambulance ride, right? You might have signed something, um, an advance notice that said, hey, we're probably not going to cover this through Medicare. If you sign those advance notices for anything, not just the ambulance ride, but at any point when someone hands you an advance beneficiary notice, it's called an ABN, that's giving you notice that, hey, Medicare's not going to cover this. So watch for those. They're really, really hard to beat. And what I tell our family members here is I can usually argue about just about anything. And people who uh, (laughs) know me just, just like Deb just did laugh that off and agree. But... I have a really hard time arguing with you, right? So when you as the beneficiary do something and you sign off on something, really, really hard for me to overcome something you've done. You have a hard time arguing with yourself later. That's really what it comes down to because they can say, hey, you knew what you did. I have a hard time getting around that. Um, Those ABNs can come up in a variety of ways, so definitely keep an eye out for that. Yeah, it's do always. They, do they say ABN in big letters, or is it in the fine print somewhere? You, know? <laughs> uh, you would you would hope they were all the same, but they're not. I've seen them in a variety of different ways when I was working with Medicare fraud. 
Uh, where you don't see it until two paragraphs down. They can look like sheets just absolutely full of information. Or the most dangerous and typically most heinous ones are the ones that are blank. When a facility has someone sign a blank ABN and then they just fill it later. Yeah. Um, So just basically be careful of what you sign. Ask, hey, what is this and why are you making me sign it? I had to actually help one of my family members just this last year who was forced to sign a blank ABN every time he walked into a particular physician's room. It was part of his little, you know, welcome package when you go to the doctor. That is not okay. That's not okay at all. Um, But you have to watch for it. Most people play by the rules, but just be aware of what you sign. Ask if you don't know. Okay. Well, and that's that can be hard to do if your leg is broken or your stomach pain is interfering with your ability to think clearly. Exactly right. Yeah, sometimes you get prompted with these things at the worst moment, it feels like, and that's not really considered when you try to contest it later. Um, unless you have a really unique circumstance, like where someone was unconscious, but somehow their name appeared on something. But we're talking about pretty particular avenues of fraud at that point. But uh, that's why it's good to have an advocate nearby or to be an advocate for your family members when you can. Not everybody has that person. That person's not always around every second of the day. But if you're able to and you're jumping in to help somebody, that's a fine thing to ask when you're talking about that observation status and inpatient status. Hey, what have we signed? You know, what what, what are we doing? What's the plan? Um, Gather that information as you can and just kind of work from there. Okay. Okay. So they're building all these buildings that are called emergency rooms that aren't in the hospital. Does that count? Well, it goes back to, it It depends, right, of, of what do they have. I've seen, uh-huh. I've seen some in the last year that did. Like I, we had a beneficiary who had gone to Florida for some reason and had to go see somebody. They didn't know any providers there, so they had to pop into one of those. Um, and it, it worked out okay. Uh-huh. Uh, same time where it comes back where some of these standalone individuals don't really have these high-end insurance contracts, so they may not work with everything. Oh, okay. You know, it's just watching for who are you working with and what they make you sign. I'll put it this way. If they didn't ask for your Medicare card and your insurance information, that's a red flag. Right? <laughs> They're not asking for your insurance stuff. You should wonder about that. <laughs> they don't need it. Um but yeah, that, that may be an oversimplification, but that's always a good a good indicator, right? If somebody works with Medicare is if they're asking for your stuff. Okay. okay. And if they don't, I understand sometimes in an emergent situation, you're already there and you've got to get the care you need. But I feel like more contracting with Medicare than those that don't. Okay. So you got to be careful. So getting to the hospital, you want to... Watch what you sign. Yes. Um, whenever you're signing paperwork, make sure it's not a advanced beneficiary notice. Um, you want to. You can choose either urgent care or emergency care, whatever is most appropriate. If your insurance is accepted there. Right. Um, asking about the moon, the inpatient, or the observation status. And making sure you work with the billing office if you have questions about your billing. Exactly right. That that's all solid info. Good takeaways for 
everybody in every situation pretty much. Um, something worth looking at. Well, Josh, I could talk the rest of the afternoon. There's always so many different questions to ask, but we're going to end it for today. Um, we do thank our listeners um, and want to let them know that Take Us McGinnis is a life care planning law firm helping families respond to legal and financial challenges caused by chronic illness or disability of an elderly loved one. Join us next week for another episode of Aging Starts Now. Thank you for listening to the Aging Starts Now podcast. For more information about today's show, visit tn-elderlaw.com, click on the free resources tab, and then click on Aging Starts Now. You'll find the show notes there. And while you're at it, why not check out all the free resources available at tn-elderlaw.com. Document downloads, the Take Us McGinnis blog, educational videos, informative articles, helpful links, a TV show, and more. It's all there free for the taking. If you enjoy listening to the Aging Starts Now podcast, please subscribe, rate the show, or leave us a review. It's easy to do on whatever app you use to listen. We would love your feedback on the show. Aging Starts Now. We'll be back next week with more candid discussions about challenges created by aging, disability, and unexpected illness.